Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I interview inspiring, fascinating women who are navigating aging with class and sass. I'm your host, Nicole Christina. Hey everyone, I am so grateful for all of the downloads, and I'd love a rating on iTunes and a comment. And please subscribe. It helps the show's rating so other people can find it and learn how to age well. And if you are loving the podcast, why not check out the companion online course, Zestful Aging, Simple and Sustainable Habits for Health and Longevity. You can access it through my website, NicoleChristina.com forward slash Zestful Aging. It's based on the Harvard Study of Adult Development, and I'm really proud of how it's turned out. Well, I've got my coffee in my hand and my trusty dog Sparky beside me, so let's begin. Today we have Evelyn Triboli, who is an award-winning registered dietitian and was a trailblazer for the intuitive eating anti-dieting movement when she co-authored with Elise Resch intuitive eating in 1996 and intuitive eating is the bible among nutritionists and clinicians who treat folks with eating disorders she's written nine books including the bestsellers healthy homestyle cooking and intuitive eating and her newest book is the intuitive eating workbook 10 Principles for Nourishing a Healthy Relationship with Food, which I've recommended many times to my clients. She's appeared on hundreds of interviews, including CNN, The Today Show, USA Today, and The Wall Street Journal. And what I didn't know is that Evelyn qualified for the Olympic trials in the first ever women's marathon in 1984 and although she no longer competes she runs for fun and she's an avid skier and hiker she enjoys surfing kayaking whitewater rafting and high quality chocolate i understand (laughs) she has a nutrition counseling practice in newport beach california welcome evelyn thank you and thank you for that most most kind introduction (laughs) well I had to cut it by half because there's so many awards and, um, you know, it really is quite an honor for me being a, um, an, uh, a, a specialist in eating disorders and working with people for 25 years. Really appreciate your, you know, your passion and I've seen you talk and you are just fired up about this subject. The, <laughs> the anti diet you know, yeah. it is like, you know, watching you talk about the futility of of dieting is like it's almost a religious experience watching you. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. So tell me, you know, we're talking um, today about zestful aging, and most of our listeners are middle-aged and beyond, and, you know, we live in the world of intuitive eating, mindful eating, but could you just give a little explanation of what the benefit of intuitive eating might be, especially for women in this, women of a certain age, we'll say. Yeah, and since we're talking about women in a certain age, let me uh, share 
here my age, I know you didn't ask, but I have no issue with it, and I'm 58 and thriving, and I'll tell you, nothing saddens me more, or it's one of my saddest things in my practice, is when I see women in this age group, and they're coming in because they've hit a bottom and they've realized they have wasted so many of their precious years dieting. So the good news is there's still an opportunity. It's never, never too late. And what this process is, is basically about putting you in charge. You're in center. You are the expert of your body. Only you know your thoughts, your feelings, your experiences. And I have to tell you, I just saw a, a new patient recently who's been dieting all her years. And she says, you know, I can't get over this. I, I, I realize dieting is been such a waste of time it makes me feel so guilty and I said you know you can't change the past we're living mm -hmm. in such a diet culture including our healthcare um societies you know in terms of policy so it's really understandable that you bit the hook but now that you know different it's important to let that go but more importantly what is it that you need to move forward and you know in her case she had read intuitive eating it was really clear she'll never diet again but her biggest issue and this is what i want to bring up here because i think it's true for a lot of people i see for the first time is they they really get it they have the intellectual buy-in they now have a new set of information, but where the real work begins is in the practice, it's in the living of it, because most people have not honored uh, putting themselves front and center and questioning the doctor or the healthcare provider who said to cut X amount of calories, even though they don't feel good when they do that. So it's really, really a different experience. It's very liberating. And at the same time, it can be kind of scary when you're used to following what someone else said in terms of eating. In fact, this, this woman said the very same thing to me. She goes, I don't know how to freaking eat anymore. And she used a different word. <laughs> Another honored F word. That's right. And I said, you can say whatever you want to. Authenticity is what counts in, in this sacred space. So, yeah, yeah. And what are you noticing in terms of, you know, you, you mentioned even in the healthcare system, still using BMI, still uh. saying calories in, calories out. Do you think we're making strides in, as a society, getting wiser to the futility of dieting? You know what? I gotta tell ya, I want to. I want with all my heart to say yes, but in all honesty, I have to say no. I think it's gotten worse, and I'll tell you why. Um, I think it is well known among certain health, health professionals, especially pe uh, health professionals who work in eating disorders and even consumers that dieting doesn't work and dieting is, is problematic and dieting can really mess you up and that's simplifying it. But what wasn't, hasn't really been addressed, and this to me is where why we still have the problem that we do, is when this information is coming from your health care provider and when you look at all the policies saying lose weight, lose weight, lose weight, and then you start digging deep into the research that said, and, I, and I say, where's the data? Show me the study where, where it shows that, number one, this is possible and mm -hmm. sustainable and not mm -hmm. going to cause any harm. And I feel so strongly about this issue. I've actually teamed up with a physician, Michelle May, and we're, we're working on a, on a top secret project. <laughs> <laughs> putting our putting our, our heads together to, to combat this issue because we see it amongst physicians, we see it amongst dietitians and so on, and it puts our mm -hmm. patients in this place of tremendous conflict. And so I think that's why you see um, when, when it's coming from your doctor, then all of a sudden Weight Watchers sounds pretty reasonable when actually, no, Weight Watchers is a diet and the fact that they were inviting teenagers to participate for free is, mm. oh, it's, it's, it's why it could happen because we're living in a diet culture in our medical model. It's a huge problem. And in fact, I think it was in 2012 when the American Medical Association 
decided to take a vote and they voted that obesity was a disease, which went against the recommendations of their own research committee asking that question, is there enough data to even call it a disease? And the answer was no. And those in a process decided, no, let's take a vote. We don't think so, <laughs> you know? And that's a, that's a problem. It's a huge problem. And so I say to those who are new to intuitive eating, oh, you, your life is still ahead of you and it's really understandable that you succumb to the pressure when it's coming from your own um, physician. And, it's, it's and well these are bright people. These bright, are bright, bright people. people. Absolutely. And this mantra of healthy equals weight loss, it's, it's almost a brainwashed kind of process. You know, it is. And I'll tell you something. You know, let me say something. I, I want to say something exciting. <laughs> Even though what I just got through saying <laughs> might sound depressing. I've had more and more physicians approaching me asking this very question. And I've recently mm-hmm. had a couple who've actually got trained and certified in the intuitive eating process because they're seeing that it can't work. And the thing that really kills me is they really care about their patients. Their sense of compassion is so strong. And, and they were feeling at conflict in terms of how do you work through this? And I said, well, first we have to recognize that the, the model model of weight loss does not work. What we need to do instead is focus on on healthy behaviors, period. Things that are sustainable, things that make a difference, and weight is not a behavior. And as you were mentioning, the whole body mass index is such a problematic uh, indicator. It was never intended to measure the health of an individual. It was supposed to be like a, a research tool to look at, at societies and communities, just the way like the Dow Jones Industrial Average kind of reflects mm. the overall stock market, but it does not reflect your individual portfolio. It's something along those lines. So it's just a mess, frankly. It's mm-hmm. a mess. I, I don't understand the, the, the buy-in, I think. It's, there's a lot of um, con, confounding factors that are going on. One, you know, insurance reimbursement. Two, well-meaning doctors who don't know otherwise. Three, there's a whole industry of medical weight loss. So it's, yes. it's yeah, it's problematic. Do you want to talk about bariatric surgery or is that going to make you uh, <laughs> too, too upset? That's, that's, that is, you know what, I don't feel informed enough to, to give you a lot of information. I can certainly give you an opinion, but I like giving information-based opinions. And, and the problem I have with the research I've seen so far on it is they haven't really shown the sustainability of that. And what mm-hmm. tends to happen, it really promotes weight stigma. And that's, you know, I, I belong to a, a community called Health at Every Size, and it's uh-huh. a community of allied health bacon. Prof- yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, it, and it's about, you know what, let's focus just on health period and, and, and forget about this actual number. I just had a conversation today with a, a patient of mine whose doctor had said, you need to lose weight, even though he stopped the, the binge eating and all those kinds of things. And he knows that going back to dieting would, would, would trigger the, the binge eating. And I said, so let's look at other things that can help with health indicators like like exercise, but in a way that actually feels good and that's not going to be problematic. And I think what's shocking is most physicians I have spoken with and and at conferences are not aware of the data that shows that the process of dieting actually increases your risk of gaining even more weight. And there's Mm -hmm. actually even a mechanism called fat overshooting. And a very, very small study, I think, really underpinned the horror of this. You know, the, the biggest loser 
mm -hmm. a study in which they looked at, I think, a handful, like 15 uh, participants six years after the fact, and to find that their metabolic rate was still suppressed by an average to five to 600 calories on a daily basis, to find out that their muscle mass was actually lower than what they actually started at. There were serious side effects of this. And one thing that didn't get talked about that was actually in that particular research paper is that their baseline blood sugar levels were actually higher than what they started out with. Not their baseline, their final blood sugars in which they were. So there's, there's problems here. And I, what I find is in the area of science, a lot of researchers have their specialties, but they're not talking amongst each others. And this is a huge thing that needs a, a, a very integrated approach. And the thing I am excited to see on, on a positive output uh, out, outlook rather is some of the health professionals I oversee in these trainings. Um, they have gone to their health centers, to their insurance companies, to their facilities that they work in and said, you know what, we need to focus on well-being, not on a number. And they're getting some change happening in their own um, community. So I'm actually happy to see that. And when you talk about well-being, could you talk a little bit about what exactly that means and what might be the uh, indicators for well-being? Yeah, you know, I'll tell you what, I'm starting to use that term more for this reason. It's not so emotionally loaded, you know, there's no stigma attached to well-being. No one gets upset if, if we say, you know, I'd like to have a discussion about your well-being. <laughs> right. You know, but if you say, hey, I want to talk about your health. Oh, my God, the defense has come up. Oh, you're going to tell me to do this, this or that. And the mm -hmm. other thing, and you'll probably appreciate this, is that well-being is so much more inclusive. It's clear to me anyways that it includes your emotional and psychological health. And for a lot of people, uh, when they think of health, they're only thinking of physical and medical health. They're not thinking about the psycho psychosocial aspect, which is so, so important. So I just, I like the term well-being. It's, it's more friendly. It's like, it's like a puppy, you know, you're going to, ah, who doesn't like Everyone a likes, right, 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 right. right. And, and so, um, when we talk about well-being, as you have become more mature, as you've aged, what have you been doing to enhance your well-being or to stay well? You know, I got to tell you, it, it's going to sound very mundane, but one of the things I'm very proud about is I have really worked on getting a sleep routine for the most part, for the most part, I'm not perfect because I, I've been really, uh, I'm like a little kid who wants to stay up all night and then it's like, oh, just one more hour and the next thing you know, I'm sleep deprived and we know that that's not great for our health and more importantly, it's not just that I can check off the box and say, yes, I'm getting enough sleep, but I actually am feeling the difference and the other thing is just working on, it's, it's a constant process for me, but making sure my life is in balance in terms of not taking on too many projects or if I am going to take something on what am I going to let go of so I'm not you know running around like a a maniac and you know you mentioned how I've written nine books and I'm I am proud of that but that came at a cost you know when I'm in, in writing mode it's like I'm, I'm a monk in a cave and my friends are like, oh my god we're not going to see you so with every book I would vow to get better at my self-care and I think with my last one I finally figured it out so <laughs> Mm -hmm. So when I do my 10th book, I think I'm going to do it from a place of, of, of balance as opposed to kind of all or none. But I love this idea of thriving and being really present. So the other thing that's really significant that I've done in the last five years is I've become a pretty serious uh, meditator. I have a serious meditative meditation practice, and I actually teach other people how to meditate. I, I've re um, have received training to, to do so, and I'm 
very excited about harnessing the power of the, our minds. It's, it's, it's so profound. Mm -hmm. And then we have, when we, when we uh, can be practicing these kinds of things, we have more space and we have more choice on how we want to live. But it, it was amazing to me to discover how much of my life I've been sleepwalking, you know, because mm -hmm. my mind was, uh, you know, distracted, thinking about what happened that day or what's going to happen in my future. And here I'm, I'm not even seeing the ordinary, extraordinary beauty as I'm driving home down PCH along the ocean, you know. So, mm -hmm. yeah, and so to and, and and you know the digestion and the immunity benefits of meditating. Um, are well, nothing I'll tell you, to sneeze at either. No, in fact, I'll tell you the research is profound, and I'm a real research geek. I just love science. I so, remember that. Yeah, and when you look at the meditation research, showing the last study I saw that did a kind of like a meta analysis, grouping all the studies, you know, showing I think it changes like 200 different. Uh, enzymes in the brain it changes the structure of the brain it's just like wow <laughs> so it's, powerful it is powerful and it's one of those things it's not a hard idea to grasp how to meditate it comes down to that issue of practice 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 and being mm -hmm. kind on yourself you know with yourself and on yourself i guess hey there more of the interview in just a second now it's time for a quick shameless plug for my Zestful Aging web course and my newsletter, Breathe, Taste, Savor. Hop on over to NicoleChristina.com forward slash Zestful Aging, no spaces, to find out more. Do you want to talk at all about how aging has been for you as a woman, as an athlete, what the challenges might be, any surprises? Yeah, you know, I tell you, I got a surprise last year. <laughs> so I've, I've, you know, I've, I've been a generally very physically active person because I just happen to love it. Even as a kid, I used to get in trouble for running around in the house because I was always on the go. And uh, I had a couple of surgery the knee surgery and something else that happened and it slowed me down so much and it really caused me to, and I'm fine now by the way but my year was kind of gone I spent a year in physical therapy and it was just a regular knee thing it wasn't anything big but it was humbling and I realized how I take my own health for granted and so uh, I had a serious conversation with my team, and they said, well, you know, Evelyn, because last year I was 57, it takes a little longer to recover from surgeries and do physical therapy. And one of the most humbling lessons I had is the physical therapist took me aside and said, look, I realized with you, I need to actually tell you to slow it down. With other patients, I'm worried about them doing enough and consistently, but with you, you put too much effort in. So You're a high achiever. Well, but and here's, here's the funny thing that's about it, because here's what he told me, and I just about laughed. I did laugh, actually. He goes, you know, you have to really listen to your body. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my and, goodness. And, you know, I, yeah, and I thought, wow, message received. And I realized what I was doing <laughs> is listening to my mind. It's like, no, I should be done by now. I should be recovered oh, by now. So gosh. I'm going to go ahead and do what I had planned on doing rather than listening to the fact that, oh, I was feeling a little achy today. I should really take it off or, or not advance on my on my schedule. So that was so humbling. It was humbling. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So my, my goal, it's funny, I don't know why I've had a goal with aging, but it's, it's to do it with grace and to always feel like I'm, I'm thriving and to remember that aging is in your in your mind you know that's what that's what I think what would you say to your younger self about aging would you uh, is there anything in particular you might say 
if you were talking to your younger self about what it would be like? Yeah, you know what? It's it's funny. I've I've thought about that question. That's a hard one for me. And maybe in part because I've been okay with aging. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, unknowns with it. You know, so in terms of actually any regular advice, I I don't have a I don't have a good one for you except this idea of going with grace. And I will say this: I, I had I had this real revelation talking to a patient. You know, is being a woman from a from a child to when you have your first period to when you hit menopause, there's so many changes that happen to our body, and I, and we live in a culture who worships youth. You know, so when you look at diet culture, youth appearance based culture, it's like a woman has to go through so much and I really love this idea of just embracing change and embracing um, grace you know as 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 it happens so I, I think that's one of the things I, I would be looking at and I do sometimes get surprised when I look in the mirror you know one of those big giant giant mirrors to put my makeup on because my I have to wear glasses now when I see <laughs> right uh, it's like oh my god there's another wrinkle and then I laugh because I wouldn't change it I wouldn't erase the cause of, of of that on my face you know but I do have a moment where I like I, I might wince you know but I, I don't want to buy mm-hmm. buy into that and I just remind myself it's it's a life that I've been living I got to I got to earn these 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 you know um, signs of aging, you know, it's, it's part of the process. Yes. Um, do you have any advice for our listeners about, you know, uh, first steps about being more intuitive about eating? You had mentioned a patient earlier that said, I, now I really don't know what to do. I don't know the first step. I don't even know how to eat anymore. Um, people who have been on chronic diets, staying away from carbs, trying this, you know, uh, low carb and then high fat and all these different diets. If they're wanting to do something different, if they're seeing sort of middle age or over as, as kind of a fork in the road, now I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do something new and something better for myself. What advice would you have about the eating part? You know, I'll tell you where I, I'll tell you exactly what I told this woman. And, it, and it's a place I like to begin with a lot of people, actually. Uh, and that is to aim for seeking satisfaction and joy in your eating. And mm-hmm. I asked her, what would that be like? And she just about fell out of the couch. You know, mm-hmm. she goes, wow, satisfaction and joy. I said, yeah, has anyone <laughs> ever asked you about that? <laughs> She thought she had the wrong office. Yeah. So we really broke that down. So joy is this idea. You know, I've had so many chronic dieters come in and they're just so weary. And so joy also includes, you know, um, your energy level in terms of if you're the one that's preparing a meal, what is your, what is, whatever you decide to do, it needs to be in alignment with your energy. Maybe it turns out you just had a killer week or you had a killer day and the idea of pushing a microwave button is just exhausting. And that might sound silly, but I've been there. I've had many patients that have been there. And so the kind thing might be, huh, what might I pick up today or go out to eat that would give me joy and satisfaction? You know, so looking at those kinds of things. And again, it puts you at front and center. 
And so when we look mm-hmm. at satisfaction, you know, one of the things I love about starting with that, even though it's not the first principle, I believe it's the sixth one. I still don't have them memorized after all these years. Isn't that funny? Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of, I have them all. I know all the principles, of course, just not which number. Yeah, with what, right, right. I, I, you, I understand. Yeah, you don't have to go in a certain order. But satisfaction is a really beautiful place to start because when you're aiming for that, well, you know, it's a way to get into balance and get to know yourself at the same time because ultimately it's not satisfying to undereat and ultimately it's not satisfying to overeat. So where is that sweet spot? And mm-hmm. I think one thing important to remember in this journey of becoming an intuitive eater, it is not pass and fail. It's a journey of discovery. So it's about getting curious with some kindness and you know, so let's say, you know, you perceive that you overate lunch and rather than mm-hmm. micromanage and react by panicking and going on a diet and often dieting is a, is a coping mechanism, maladaptive coping mechanism for a variety of d- different types of things is let's, let's see what happens with your body. Maybe, and let's notice, maybe you'll notice that when you ordinarily get hungry in the afternoon, you have no desire to eat, you know? Mm-hmm. And yet if you had micromanaged and pl- vowed not to eat something or vowed some this or that, you would have robbed yourself of the experience of saying, oh, my body's working. Oh, my body's working. And I love doing that is noticing when your body's working, when you're feeling hungry, for example, it might be really annoying. Maybe you, you, you skipped lunch because you got a meet, you got pulled into a meeting you didn't plan. You thought, ah, who cares? And then you notice when you get home from work, you are ravenous. You want to eat up the entire kitchen. And while that doesn't feel very good, it's scary. It's, you know what? Your body's working. You're having a natural response to an extreme condition that your body was put into. And now the question is, huh, what would feel sad? Satisfying with this level of hunger, what man, what matches my energy, or maybe I want to start with a meal that's kind of slow and relaxing. So those kinds of things is what I would be looking at. And then something else I'm really fond of doing. This is some a newer technique. It's not in the book, uh, and it's to ask this question. And I love the question because it gives you one of three answers. You don't even have to, you know, pick an answer out of the air. It's, it's provided for you. It's so, multiple choice. Yeah. So let me, let me do it for you for all your listeners out there. So, you know, you know, just get a little bit comfortable, maybe take a relaxing breath or two and then check in. How do you feel right now? Pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? So check in with how you feel. Which, which do you relate most to? Pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? Now, I'll tell you what I love about this question. One, I've never had a patient not be able to answer this. There's usually one that they gravitate more towards than the other. And it's not asking, what is your feelings right now? How would you rate them? Mm. It's not Mm -hmm. asking, are you hungry? Are you full? And by the way, those are all good questions. But when you've been numb and you have no idea, this is a great way to begin. It's a universal attunement question. And for some people, what I have them do before they eat, I might have them just ask that question and again, just to get grounded. It's not about rating hunger or even emotions, but just how do I feel right now? Great first step. It is. It is. So it's it's an attunement thing. It's checking in. How often do you check in with yourself? You know, how often you've been so busy taking care of other people, you have no idea how you feel. And what's really cool is the more you start get connecting to how you do feel, pleasant or pleasant or neutral, you might you might start getting curious. If you're feeling unpleasant, it's like, huh, 
what might I need to be feeling at least in a place of, of, of neutrality? And mm-hmm. so this is where the, where the journey begins. So that's probably a place I, I would start. And, you know, of mm-hmm. course, we get into hunger and fullness and other kinds of things. But I think it's a nice way to begin. And I've had patients pleasantly surprised how exciting it is just to ask that basic question. And then, mm-hmm. and then to seek meals with joy and satisfaction. Now, that said, I do not want to leave your listeners with the impression that every meal you eat has to be a 10 and a divine experience with rainbows and butterflies <laughs> and mm-hmm. candlelight. Sometimes mm-hmm. eating is just ordinary. Sometimes it's like a pair of sensible shoes. And what I find, however... <laughs> if you a have turkey ye- sandwich. <laughs> yeah. And if you've yeah. had years of deprivation and you're finally starting to connect with some of this freedom, it might feel devastating to have a ordinary meal or neutral one. And no problem, if that's gonna, that's, that will change in time where you can tolerate the ordinary, but I've had people that are really disappointed. And so what that might mean is, oh, you know, maybe upon my next meal when I have a little more time, I'm gonna go more towards uh, something that's incredibly satisfying beyond just feeding my body. So those are ways of, of looking at it. I just want to end today with a memory of a story you told, and I hope I hope you'll remember this. It was I think it was a, either in, in one of the trainings or a talk that you gave that was uh, on your website, but you had gone to a conference, and it was somewhere, I can't remember quite, it was like in the Plains or somewhere, I think it was Iowa, and they uh, had a very famous bakery. Do you remember this I story? I do, I do. <laughs> and you had your eye on this cupcake. Yeah. And you bought this cupcake and it was like just sort of the divine combination of flavors and you sat and you sort of got psyched up to have this cupcake experience do you do you remember that I I remember telling this I remember this story and I remember sharing it with the audience it was so funny because they were so excited I knew their cupcake place (laughs) yes yes yeah but that idea of and when I eat this cupcake it's going to have my full attention and yes. in full awareness. Yes. Yeah, it's, eating needs to be sacred space. And especially, yeah, you know, it's, 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 I, in fact, I just had a patient who was so shocked that uh, she had dinner for the first time with her husband, not in front of the TV. And she was, couldn't believe how satisfying it was. And then she started apologizing because she had pizza. I go, you can eat whatever you want to. This is about the process of your eating. I said, but I'm kind of curious. If you're watching uh, TV and eating pizza, how many slices do you eat on average? She said about four or five. And I'm going curious, what did you end up eating with your husband? She said, you know, I think it was either two or three. And I was shocked how satisfying it was. And it, and it happened to be less. So we have this illusion many times that we can, you know, fully be present with our food and do something, but it's really not true. You rob yourself of the experience. So especially when it's something that you love, oh, please, please, please make the time to be 100% present with your food. Mm-hmm. That's great advice. Thank you so much for your passion and your en- energy and um, and all that you bring to this. I know it's it's just been transformative to talk about these kinds of things with with my clients and in my own life. It really, I think it so elevates the, the quality of life to Absolutely. be present with your food. It's such a, it can be such a beautiful experience. 
And um, I think it can be lost on people who are really, you know, counting their carbs or, you know, whatever they're doing, whatever the diet of the month is. It really yeah. does seem to bring a level of joy that it's a, it's a pleasure to watch that in a client. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. Please subscribe comment and rate me on iTunes. I love those five stars. Like and share. Those actions help other people find the show. And I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at NicoleChristina.com and tell me what you'd like to hear more about. Want more zest? Head over to NicoleChristina.com forward slash zestful aging. No spaces where you can find my companion online course, Zestful Aging, Simple and Sustainable Habits for Health and Longevity. See you next time for another episode of Zestful Aging.